I love the heart behind our VBX block parties because I think they really capture and reflect the heart of God. God doesn't sit back and wait for us to come to him. He goes to us. And and the greatest proof of that is Jesus. And really what we're trying to do um, with these block parties is just reflect what God has already done through Jesus, this incarnational ministry. If not, as a church, we don't want to tell our community, hey, if you, if you, you know, want to learn more about faith or about Jesus, then you have to come to us. No, we want to be a church that says we're going to take on the, the attitude and the action of Jesus, and we're going to get out and we're going to go to you. We're going to get into our neighborhoods. We're going to get into our parks. We're going to get into our schools because we want people to know, love, and follow Jesus and to reflect his character in their life. And so I'm just really excited about these block parties and hope that you will join us in this incredible week of of ministry this summer. Um, As we dive into the the sermon this morning, let me just open us up with a word of prayer. Uh, God, thank you just for the incredible grace that uh, that did. You sought us, Lord, before we had any desire in us to seek you. And so, Lord, I just pray um, that this morning our hearts will be to continue and to seek you, to know you more, to know your word more, to allow it to penetrate our hearts and to shape who we are and who we are becoming, uh, to, to cut away anything in us that is not of you. Father, you know uh, the needs Uh, You know what each person carried in here with them this morning, their joys and their pains. And I am so grateful that you are a God that meets us right where we are and that speaks to us through your word. And so God, today, your voice is the only one that we desire to hear. So may you speak your word to us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. I first met Chad and Chastity after I did a wedding for some of their friends. They were engaged at the time and they didn't have anyone who was going to do the ceremony. And so they came up to me after the wedding and they said, hey, what are you doing on such and such date? Because we'd like for you to to marry us. And I was like, well, that'd be great. I don't even know you, but let's talk. Uh, And I told them, you know, one of the, the policies that I have is that anyone who I'm going to marry, I require that they go through some kind of premarital counseling. I think that that's just so incredibly valuable in getting a marriage off to the right start. And, and so I require that for any couple that I'm going to marry. And I told them that and, and they're like, you know, we haven't even thought about that. We don't even know how to do that. And I said, well, why don't you just commit over the next five, six weeks, come into my office once a week and, and we'll just kind of work through some of the material that, that I use. And they agreed to it. And over the course of that time, we just grew to really, I think, love and appreciate one another. Um, there was a friendship that sparked between us. In fact, oftentimes we spent most of our time in my office laughing and tell, telling stories. It was, it was just a real joy to get to know this couple. And they didn't attend church. In fact, they had very little interest in, in faith. Um, but even after the wedding, they, they continued to reach out and invite me to some of their family get-togethers. I got to kind of become friends, not just with Chad and Chastity, but with their entire family. And, and that, led to me, uh, that led to me doing the wedding of Chastity's sister and her husband a couple of years later. And then a year after that, uh, getting to marry Chad's brother and, and his wife. And so I really developed this sweet relationship with this family. And in the summer of 2012, uh, Amber and I announced that uh, she was pregnant 
And almost immediately after we made that announcement, Chad and Chastity reached out to me and they said, hey, we just saw your big news. We've only told our family, but we're pregnant too. And we started talking about when the due dates were and we found out that our due dates were just a week apart from, from one another in January, 2013. And so we kind of laughed at the timing of our pregnancies and, and we celebrated with one another the joy of these new blessings that were gonna come into our, our homes. And that laughter turned to concern in October. Chastity went in for a checkup and was told that her baby would require heart surgery soon after birth. And the doctor told them that she wasn't really sure what was going to come after that. If, there were, if this would fix it and this would be it, or if there would be more surgeries that, were, that would follow. It was just kind of a lot of uncertainties, a lot of things that were unknown. And so as you can imagine, they were deeply concerned. And I told her that we would pray for her. And I tried to assure them that everything would be okay. And on January 16th, 2013, our Nora was born, happy and healthy. And a few days later, Carson was born. And for the next three months, this little guy was in and out of surgery and never left the hospital. Despite our relentless prayers for a different outcome, Carson passed away on May 5th, 2013. And Chad and Chastity were absolutely devastated. They had a, never had a chance to bring their little boy home. They never had a chance to lay him in the crib that they had built for him to watch him grow up and play in the room that they had spent hours decorating for him. And they asked me to perform the funeral. And aside from preaching my own mom's funeral, it was one of the hardest ones that I've ever done. Not just because my friends had lost their baby, but because I had a baby at home, the same age, the same size. I mean, just everything. I had a baby at home that I got to go home that afternoon and hold. And, and I went home and I don't know that I've ever held her more tightly than what I did in that moment. But knowing that Chad and Chastity were gonna go back to a home that was empty. And all of it made me just ask, why God? Why didn't you answer our prayers when we cried out to you? Why didn't you save this baby's life? Why does it seem like God answers some prayers and then other prayers, he just turns a deaf ear towards them? Why does it seem like sometimes we watch God move in someone else's life and, and we celebrate that and we're happy for them, but we're praying for the same thing and we're just met with heartache after heartache after heartache, more and more pain. And it's like, God, why are you, why are you answering their prayers, but, you, but you're not answering mine? Why, why are you not moving on my behalf? Do you even know me? Do you love me? Are you punishing me for something? And there are times, if I'm honest, it just doesn't make sense and it makes me question even the effectiveness of prayer. Have you ever been there before? We're in week three of our series called Teach Us to Pray. And today we're looking at the power of prayer. 
So if you you have a a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Every single week, we we invite you to get into the word together with us. We'll have the words up on the screen, but man, I just love it when we can get into the physical or the digital word with one another. And if you're new with us today at, at Sherwood Oaks, first of all, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. Again, trying something new can be really hard, especially when it's going to church. And so just coming through these doors for the first time, I know that could be really difficult. Thank you for making that step. And we hope that this is a place where where you can grow in your faith and you can worship and we can learn from God's word together. We love getting into the meat of the Bible with one another. And and so open up your Bible or you can download the YouVersion Bible app real quickly and turn to Luke chapter 11. And in this this text that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks, the, the disciples are watching Jesus pray one day. And when he finishes, they come to him and they say, hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? Because again, we don't pray like you do. We've never seen anyone pray like you do. We want to learn from you, the master, how to pray. And, and so Jesus goes and he starts by giving them his model prayer um, that he also gave in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six. And, and it's a prayer that is designed that when we pray this prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, that, that, that Lord's prayer that many of us are very familiar with. It's this prayer that kind of refocuses our burdened hearts and minds on the goodness and the power of God. It's a prayer that leads us to surrender our wills and our ways to his It's a prayer that says, Lord, I want to learn to trust you for my daily needs. And I want to reflect your goodness and your character in my life and the way that I love and treat others. And then he teaches us in verse five through 10 that God, our gracious heavenly father, hears us when we pray. Jesus invites us to be bold and persistent in our prayers, knowing that when we ask, we will receive. When we seek, we will find. And when we knock, the door will be open. That God is not, he may not give us what we want, but he gives us exactly what we need most. He gives us his presence, his peace, his power to face whatever might come our way. And in case we begin to wonder if that's enough, or if somehow God is holding out on us, Jesus has one more lesson that he wants to teach his disciples and us about prayer. Let's look at it together. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 11. Jesus says, which of you fathers, if, you, if your son asked for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so again, if you have your Bible open and you take notes in it or you you highlight or underline things, I encourage you just underline or highlight that phrase, give the Holy Spirit, because that's really at the heart of what Jesus is teaching us about prayer, that when we pray, when we surrender, when we seek, what we will find is more of God's presence in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, that God does not hold out on us, but that he gives generously his peace and his presence through the counselor, through the spirit. And Jesus reminds us that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, that he doesn't hold out the good stuff when we pray. He is benevolent when we bring our requests to him, not malevolent. He is kind and caring and compassionate towards us. He doesn't have evil or spiteful intentions for us. He's not out to get you. 
But I'll tell you, sometimes I pray. Sometimes I pray and it feels like I get a snake instead of a fish or a scorpion instead of an egg. I feel like I get the exact opposite of what it is that I asked for. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. Something has happened and life has taken a hard left turn that you did not expect. And now you're facing something in your marriage, in your family, your health. You're facing something with your career that that you did not plan. And and it's taking you to a place that you did not expect to go. And, And quite frankly, you don't want to go, but you don't know how to stop. You don't know how to, to get out of the momentum that is carrying you in this direction. And you've prayed and prayed and prayed about it. And you feel like either your prayers are not being heard or that God doesn't care about you or that he is giving you the exact opposite of the thing that you desire most. And it does not feel good or loving or kind to you. But what if there is something greater going on that we can't even see or imagine in that moment? And while it seems right now that God is giving us a snake or a scorpion, he is actually giving us the very thing that we need most. He is giving us more of himself. I think that's where Jesus finds himself on the way to the cross. If you have your Bible or app open, um, turn back just a little bit with me to Mark chapter 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, call them the gospels. They tell the account of Jesus' life. And so Mark is just right before Luke. So turn back just a, a handful of pages to Mark chapter 14. And in Mark 14, Jesus is coming to the end of his earthly life. The cross is just a few short hours away. And even though he knows that this is where his entire life has been leading him, it's all been coming to this moment. The time is now near and he's starting to feel the weight of it. And this is what we read in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 32. It says, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. I've experienced sorrow in my life, but never to the point where I was overwhelmed to to the point of death. And some of you though, you know exactly what that feels like. And, And here we find Jesus in this place, experiencing some of the very same things that you and I feel when we cry out to God in prayer, when we ask him to come to our rescue or to come to our defense, to intercede for us or for someone that we love. This is what Jesus is experiencing. It goes on in verse 35, going a little farther. He fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Jesus says, Father, everything is within your power. Everything is within your control. Everything is possible for you. So 
please, God. He, he uses the most intimate term that a child can use for his father. Please, Father, take this cup from me. The cup that Jesus is talking about is the cup of wrath that God pours out on sin. It's mentioned several times in the Old Testament as a symbol of God's judgment being poured out over Israel for their disobedience. And here in the garden, Jesus knows that the cup of God's wrath is about to be poured out on him as he bears the weight and the guilt and the shame of my sin, of your sin. You see, on the cross, God's holy wrath is satisfied and his perfect love is revealed. God's holy wrath is satisfied and his perfect love is revealed. Jesus knows that the punishment that will bring us peace with God is about to fall on him as he hangs on the cross. He knows that this is a necessary part for God to reveal his perfect love and to bring us back into a right relationship with the Father. But in this moment, in this very human moment in the life of Jesus, he is boldly proclaiming and asking, God, please, let's do this another way. He's crying out to the Father, please, if possible, take this cup from me. But then he says something so profound that I think points back to how he taught us to pray in Luke chapter 11 and in Matthew chapter six. He says this at the end of verse 36. He says, yet, and that's a powerful word, yet not what I will, but what you will. Not what I will, but what you will. And by saying this, Jesus isn't giving up Jesus is not accepting defeat and begrudgingly walking through this. He's not the child who, after the 10th time of being asked to do something, finally gets up and stomps their feet and says, fine, I'll do it. (laughs) Instead, Jesus is expressing his desire. Listen, he is expressing his desire to follow God over his feelings to surrender his will to the will of the Father. Surrendering to God's will is a declaration of desire, not defeat. It is not the last option that we turn to when all else fails. It is an expression of faithfulness and desire to follow him and to lay down our wills to his. And by surrendering to God in prayer, Jesus is actually finding the power in prayer, the power of the Holy Spirit coming alongside him, giving him strength and courage and humility and grace to walk down whatever path God leads him on, fully surrendered to where God wants to lead him. And it takes a couple more times of him praying this same prayer, but in the end, Jesus tells his sleepy disciples this in verse 41. The hour has come. Look, the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Do you see what happens here? Rise, let us go is very different than I'm overwhelmed to the point of death. In the midst of his prayer, something changes in Jesus. And it's not his circumstances. 
Those are still the same. Something happens inside of him that through the power of the spirit, Jesus has the confidence and the strength to stand and to walk right into the face of danger, to walk right into the hands of his accusers. And he keeps on walking. He walks through his bogus trial. He walks through the scourgings where soldiers beat him to within an inch of his life as they mock him. They spit upon him. They divide up his clothes for themselves. And Jesus kept walking on the road, carrying his cross until he could not stand underneath the weight of it anymore. And then someone carried it for him. Ultimately, Jesus walked to the place of his own execution and he allowed himself to be hung on the cross and experienced the cup of God's wrath that just moments before he had prayed, God, if there is any way, please remove this from me. And the outcome didn't change. And so did God not hear him? Did the father not love his son enough to care? Here's something that I find myself doing and maybe you can relate. See, we generally judge the effectiveness of prayer and the goodness of God based on the answers that we think he ought to give us in our prayers. We create this expectation. We almost create this idol. We, we, we create a God in our own image, in our own expectations. And, and we think that, that, that if God does not live up to those expectations, then maybe he's not good. Maybe he doesn't hear us when we pray. That if the thing that we ask for happens, then praise God, prayer works. But if it doesn't, then we question If we receive what we desire, then hallelujah, God is good. But if we don't, we wonder if he cares. And of course, by we, I mean, I mean me too. But then I'm reminded that God's greatest work happens in us when we pray. In other words, the power of prayer lies in its ability to change us, not just to change our circumstances. Prayer absolutely has the power to change our circumstances. But listen, if we pray the way that Jesus teaches us to pray, we will find the freedom and the joy to proclaim, yet not my will, but your will be done. Not my kingdom on earth in my life, but your kingdom on earth and in my life as it is in heaven. And prayer brings us to a place of surrendering to God, knowing that whether he chooses to answer our prayer with a yes, a no, or a not yet, he is kind and caring and compassionate. And no matter what the answer to our prayer is, he gives us the strength to get up and to continue to walk through whatever life throws at us next, knowing that we do not walk alone, but that he walks with us. Four months after we buried Carson, Chad and Chastity called me again. (laughs) This time to tell me that they were ready to give their lives to Jesus. And on a Sunday morning in September, 2013, I had the privilege of not only baptizing Chad and Chastity, but Chastity's sister and her husband, Chad's brother and his wife and Chad's mom. Praise God. (laughs) Seven people from one family baptized in one day. The baptistry was literally overflowing. It was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. 
And as I had this hand-on experience of God's redeeming work in that moment in their life, I was just overcome with emotion of thinking of where they have been and how God has walked through them to lead them to this moment now. Since then, Chad and Chastity have continued to experience so much pain in their lives and, and so many unfulfilled hopes and dreams of starting a family. And yet through these seemingly unanswered prayers, Chastity told me one time that these difficulties have brought her and Chad closer together. And listen, she said that it has increased their love for one another, for their family, most of all for the Lord. And they know that one day God will wipe away the many, many tears that they have cried together. But until then, he continues to give him give them his peace and his presence and his power through the Holy Spirit to keep pushing through their pain, to keep walking. It reminds me of what C.S. Lewis says in the movie Shadowland, a movie that depicts his life. And one scene, he says this about prayer. He says, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I am helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me at all time, waking or sleeping. And then he concludes with this, prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. And as we close today, I want to invite you to stand with me. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer that was written by Richard Foster in his book entitled Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home. Today, O Lord, I yield myself to you. May your will be my delight today. May you have perfect sway in me. May your love be the pattern of my living. I surrender to you my hopes, my dreams, my ambitions. Do with them what you will, when you will, as you will. I place into your loving care my family, my friends, my future. Care for them with a care that I can never give. I release into your hands my need to control, my craving for status, my fear of obscurity. Eradicate the evil purify the good and establish your kingdom on earth. For Jesus' sake, amen. So God wants to change your life if you allow him. If you're here today and you're ready to take your next step of faith, surrender your life to him, identify with his death, burial, and resurrection and baptism, and we, we want to help you take that step today. Jesus has already graciously paid the price for your sin. Now all you have to do is put your faith in him and start to follow. And so if you are ready to take that step, we are ready to lead you in that and to walk with you. Let today be the day that you finally lay down your life for him and experience his new life in you. 
or if you just need someone to pray for you today as you surrender a pain, your burden, maybe your brokenness over to him, we want to invite you to come as well. We're going to sing one more song and then we'll be dismissed. And as everyone is exiting out through these doors, we invite you just to come forward. There'll be some of us up here that would love to talk to you, pray with you, lead you, and help you make that decision, help you take that next step, help you surrender that care, that burden to the Lord in prayer. But first, let's sing together. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org slash messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.